Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathiah, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other, and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? This is the word of God. Thank you, Steph, for reading for us. Shall we stand for the Gospel reading? <coughs> the Gospel reading for this morning can be found in the second chapter according to the Gospel of St. John, beginning at the first verse. Glory to Christ, our Saviour. John's Gospel, chapter 2, reading from verse 1 to verse 12. Now, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there. For the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons, Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jar with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Verse 9, When the master of the feast tasted the water now became wine and did not know where they came from, though the servant who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serve the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This was the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Shall we bow our heads as we commit this day to the Lord? <coughs> 
So Father, we thank you, Lord, as we prepare to listen to your word. We ask of you that you speak to us, that your word will continue to be alive, that your word will continue to minister as we give you glory and praise in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you please be seated? Now, in one particular Calvin and Hobbes comic strip, and in case you're not familiar with this cartoon character, here's a picture up on the screen. Now, Calvin is standing by his mother's bed, saying these words to her. Hey, mom, wake up. I made you a Mother's Day card. He then proceeded to read out what he had written. I was going to buy a card with hearts of pink and red, but then I thought I'd rather spend the money instead. It's awfully hard to buy things when one's allowance is so small. So I guess you're plenty lucky I got you anything at all. Happy Mother's Day. There, I've said it. Now I'm done. So how about getting out of bed and fixing breakfast for your son? And so this week, as we all will probably know, <coughs> it's Mother's Day. And so before I continue any further, allow me to take this opportunity to wish all mothers, mothers-to-be, future mothers, and those of you who want to be mothers, a very blessed Mother's Day. But today, not only is it a good day because it's Mother's Day, today is a good day because Fusian will tell you why. Yesterday was also a good day. Martin will tell you why. Tomorrow will also be a good day. Barry will testify to this. But for today, we want to encourage, we want to magnify motherhood, and we want to encourage all mothers. And so I'll be sharing a special message based on the life of a mother. And the focus for our uh, focus for today is on the life of Hannah. But before we jump into this story, <clears throat> I think it's important for us to understand the context. It is crucial for us that we are made aware of the dire situation that Hannah was living at a particular point in time. You'll find that in our English Bibles, the book of Ruth comes after the book of Judges. But you know something interesting? That in the Hebrew Bible, 1 Samuel, this book that we are looking in, 1 Samuel, follows immediately after the book of Judges. And if we know our Bibles very well, According to the last verse in Judges 21 verse 25, we read of this well-known phrase that goes like this, that in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this clearly tells us of the situation that Hannah was living in. That the situation at that time was rather bleak. The nation was in chaos the nation was torn about by constant lack of leadership. And as a result of this, Israel was often oppressed by the surrounding nations. Hence, to guide his people in those days, what God would do, he would appoint a judge to lead them, but their freedom, their prosperity would generally last only as long as that particular judge was alive. And when the judge has passed on, things revert back to the, to the same old way. Hannah lived in such troubled times. And so as we look into the life of this woman, I want to zero in on her five traits. 
And so we find that the first trait about Hannah was that here was a woman who experienced and endured real problems like any one of us. Now, you see, it's so easy for us to think that heroes in the Bibles that we read uh, were somehow different from you and I. We might think that, you know, it's tough to relate to them because the life was so perfect, you know, and their culture is so different from ours. But actually, you find that the Bible is filled with real people with real problems who face them with real faith. And in the case of Hannah, we discovered here that this woman was besieged with three problems. As read by Stephanie, we are introduced to Hannah's family. Her husband was a man by the name Elkanah. And verse 2 further tells us of this rather important fact, that Elkanah had two wives. One was Hannah, and the other was a woman by the name of Penina. But what was more crucial is the fact that Penina had sons and daughters, while Hannah had none. Now, this is a very important fact for us to know. Because bear in mind that in those days, the chief role of a wife was to provide children for the continuation of the family. You see, a wife at the time, if the wife is considered to have a barren womb, it was considered to have be a curse. And very often, this woman will be looked down by others. And certainly, as we have read, this happens to be the case. Hannah's problem caused her to be spiritually disturbed, socially disgraced, and emotionally depressed. She joined a long line of other women of faith who battled barrenness. If you recall, we have Sarah, Abraham's wife, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, Rachel, Jacob's wife, and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. But in the case of Hannah, what could be the possible cause of her inability to conceive? Well, if you search the Scriptures, you find that the answer is there. In the case of Hannah, if you look in verse 5, the Bible gives us the reason for her barrenness. Verse 5 tells us that the Lord had closed her womb. And to drive home this point, it was repeated again immediately in verse 6. Now, perhaps one of the hardest lessons we will ever learn or accept is that sometimes God is behind these grim circumstances in our lives. Isn't that true? We don't really want to believe this. We'd rather put the blame all on Satan and say it's Satan's fault. <laughs> you know, or sometimes put the blame on someone else. But the truth of the matter is this. God sometimes allows both the good things and the bad things to come into our lives. The word is God allows. And we need to be clear on this. And so because of this, it is important therefore to be reminded that even though God allows the bad things to enter in our life, we also need to be reminded that God is also in charge and as such, you and I, even though the bad things may come to us, we can echo Job's faith as said in Job chapter 2 verse 10. And as you know the story of Job, when he was besieged with all sorts of problems, 
Listen to the words of Job. He says this, Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? So Hannah's first problem here was her inability to conceive. But before we move on, I want to sidetrack for a moment and pause to focus on Hannah's husband, Elkanah. Because if you look with me to verse 3, you you find that verse 3 informs us that together with his two wives, this man would make a yearly visit to Shiloh. From where they were staying, it's about a 20-mile journey that he would make with his family just to go and worship the Lord. Now, this tells us something about Alkana's devote spirituality. You see, when the whole nation was in spiritual decline, as I already painted up to you from the very beginning, this man would swim against the tide and he would took his family to worship God. He could have justified, no one else is going to do this. You know, the distance is too far. Or I don't like the ministers there. But you see, nothing was going to stop this man and his family from coming to the house of the Lord to make a sacrifice to God. And this is something for us to reflect and think on. What is keeping you and I from wanting to come to the house of the Lord to worship Him? Fear of the COVID virus? Laziness? Too far a distance to travel? You know, the the excuse may be plenty, but notice here, nothing prevented Alkana from worshipping and nothing should prevent you and I as well. Amen? As we move on to the next two verses, we see something else about Alkana. We not only see his devout spirituality, we now begin to see his devoted heart. For we read that he will give portion in verse 4, that he will give portions of the sacrifice, of the sacrificial meat to his wife, Panina, and to her children. But then to Hannah, we are told that he gave her a double portion. And the reason for this was because, verse 5 says, he loved her. Now this double portion literally means to show face, indicating that she was worthy. It reveals that he deeply cared for his wife and that he was willing to kind of upsize her meal. Now, even though we can conclude that Elkanah was a devout man in his walk with God, he was a devoted husband to his wife Hannah, but nevertheless, we also see something about his family. His family was divided. And what was the cause of this division? Well, we can really say that it's actually his fault. Lah. Okay? Why? Because he married two wives. Simple. He married two wives. And as we know from scriptures, this was never God's original intent for marriage. It's likely that maybe Hannah was his first wife. But because she was unable to conceive, he therefore married Panina later on. But the point here is this. 
We cannot say that, oh, because the Bible, you know, we read of Bible characters who, who, had, who had more than one wife, and we know David, you know, had so many wives. Solomon had so many concubines. This does not mean that we can go ahead and do this. Bear in mind that though the Bible does record of polygamous relationship of some of the patriarch, the Bible at the same time never endorsed such relationship. God's Word clearly teaches the one wife for life rule. And someone said that the penalty of bigamy is that you have two mother-in-laws. But coming back to our story, you find that being barren is not the end of Hannah's woes. Because as we move on to verse 6, you find that verse 6 describes the character and the personality of the other woman, Penina, which was apparently Hannah's second problem. You see, not only Penina was Hannah's rival, we are told that Penina provoked and irritated Hannah constantly. Now, this woman couldn't just be thankful that she was blessed with children, but she felt the need to embarrass Hannah. Because verse 7 tells us that every time they, every year when they make the trip to Shiloh, she would do this. Penina was like a child, you know, who would score A for all her exams, you know, and then would go around comparing with other people, you know, with lower grades, and they say, I'm better than you was exactly what Penina was doing. She probably went around telling others, these are all my children, and then pointed out that Hannah had none at all. Of course, needless to say, if you're Hannah's position, you feel grief, you feel affected. And you find that Hannah would moan deeply, and as a result, she herself would not eat well. To his credit, we are told that Elkanah tried his best to comfort his wife. He says in verse 8, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? And I not more to you than ten sons. Now, let me say that was significant that he had noticed his wife's sadness and wanted to find out why she was crying. I just wondered if his attempt at empathy was appreciated by Hannah. I might be going on the limp and say, and, and, and it seems that Elkanah was doing like what many of us husbands would do when our wives are upset. Instead of listening to the pain, Elkanah seems to rationalize with a problem and feeling. It seems like he was trying to solve when he should be seeking to understand. I kind of picture him holding her hands and saying tenderly, you know, Hannah, honey, you got me. You know, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I'm not sure how he really understood how deeply Hannah wanted a child. Probably as a husband, he didn't know. What Hannah was going through, I believe some of us are able to identify it. And you may perhaps be facing something like that right now. But here's the thing. No matter what it is that is before us, what life problems you're experiencing, don't allow it to get the better of you. 
Hannah's problems here were the inability to conceive. Penina's constant taunting and her husband's lack of understanding. She had plenty of problems. But yet, it didn't cause her to shut down. It didn't cause her to lash out at those around her. Instead, what did she do? She was aware that her God understood the pain. She was aware that God knew what she was going through. And she realized that she could always turn to Him in prayer. And this then is the second trait of Hannah. Hannah exercised prayer in the midst of difficulties. The German Lutheran reformer, Philip Malachin, once said this, Trouble and perplexity drive me to prayer, and prayer drives away perplexity and trouble. I think this is a good verse for us to remember. Very often when trouble and perplexity comes, we don't go to God in prayer. We well up in self-pity, isn't it? But here's a good statement for us to remember, that when problems come, turn to God in prayer. That's exactly what Hannah did. Because if you read in verses 10 to 11, we are, we are told this, that Hannah was deeply di- di- distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. In Hannah's prayer, we find that she was deeply broken. And in in, in that moment of her weeping, She prayed, making a vow that if God was to give her a son, he would be dedicated to the Lord for his entire life. Now, I want you to notice that Hannah's prayer, she wasn't speaking to God in her heart. She wasn't speaking, or or rather, she was speaking to God in her heart and not aloud. So simply put, she was praying secretly, not wanting to draw attention to herself. But as the passage will point out to us, Unfortunately, in a quiet prayer, Eli, the high priest, accused her of being drunk. And perhaps this says a lot about the culture of the time. That was probably the drunker people around the temple. And so Eli thought that she was one of them. However, upon explanation of her anxiety and her vexation, Eli pronounced a benediction which was a huge blessing to her. Eli said this in verse 17, Go in peace, and the God of Israel will grant your petition that you made to him. Now, again, notice this. Eli, the high priest, didn't know what she was praying about. But his amen to her request had great significance. And as she heard the amen given by Eli, her whole countenance changed. And we are told in verse 18 that her face was no longer sad. So after spending much time in prayer and leaving her concerns with the Lord, Hannah was no longer downcast, but was now experiencing the peace that passes all understanding. So what does this teach us? It teaches us that in the midst of trials, in the midst of affliction, Go to the Lord. 
go to the Lord. When you wrestle with Him in prayer, you find that that is alone to sustain you. So church, never underestimate the power of prayers. And mothers, since today is Mother's Day, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you that if you don't get down on your knees and you don't pray for your children, tell me who will. They are your children. You need to get down on your knees and pray for them. History has shown us of how many faithful women who did this. Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, it's recorded that she'll spend one hour each day praying for them. It's no wonder that both were used mightily by God in both England and America. So did the mother of John Hudson. You know John Hudson, the great missionary to China? But some of us may not realize that as a young boy, he was a rascal. You know, he was a, like any young boy. Huh? It's, 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 it's terrible, you know. But because he became, a mission, he became a missionary eventually. Why? Because of the prayer of his mother. In our earlier years in our life, when we have children, Cassandra and I, we would take the time to intercede for our four children. And boy, let me say, they all have different needs. Literally different needs. But because we recognize that as parents, if we don't do so, who will? So if you want your children to have a good spouse in the future, turn to God in prayer. If you want to seek guidance over a matter, pray to the Lord. If you have a certain problem in life, whatever it may be, turn to Him in prayer. So Hannah experienced and endured real problems, and this led her to exercise prayer to God. And what's the result? Well, we move on now to verses 19 to 28. Verse 19 to 28 reads this. Now, they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. Verse 21, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do whatever seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until he weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephod of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Verse 25, Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I've lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So what was the result of a prayer? 
according to the verses, we are told that after some time, Hannah was finally able to conceive, and she eventually gave birth to a son, naming him Samuel. In fact, if you were to check up in verse 21 of the next verse, you find that Hannah later bore three other sons and two more daughters. So God had indeed provided for her. Now, I want to say this also, and in case we need to be clear theologically, uh, okay, it isn't because when Hannah prayed for a son, automatically you will get it. All right? It's important for us to understand this very clearly. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be given a child. When you want a child, God will give you one when you make this request. It all has to do with God's timing and God's will. And we find that in the case of Hannah here, her, answer was, was, her prayer was answered not so that she could have a son, rather, as we are told in, in chapter 2, verse 35, so that God needed a special prophet to lead His people. And because of this, God decided to use Hannah's barren, barrenness in her life to bring about this purpose. It is always based on God's will and God's timing. Now, we continue on as we read that no sooner after Samuel was born, as was his custom, Elkanah once again traveled to Shiloh to worship. And in this instance, we are told that Hannah decided not to go. Her reason was because she wanted to wean Samuel. She decided to dedicate her life to nursing and nurturing the child till he was of age before presenting him before the Lord, where Samuel will remain forever. Why did she do this? This was her fourth trait. Because Hannah was a woman who kept her promise. She remembered her promise to the Lord. The point that I'm trying to make here is this. You see, many times, many of us, we make promises to God. We make promises to one another only to break them. How many of us, beginning of the year, we make resolution, we make promise to ourselves, we will lose weight, but end up after one day, we break that promise? And this is the reality. We make promises to God. And sometimes, we break this promise to God. We promise God to be holy. We promise God that we will be more consistent in our reading of, the, of our Bible. And sometimes, we fail. Couples promise to remain true, to be partners at that wedding day only to end up breaking their vows in the space of a few short years. But we find here in the case of Hannah, she remembered her promise. Sometimes it's easy to say, Lord, give me a child, isn't it? Yeah? And then when the child comes, it's mine. I'm not going to let it go. But Hannah didn't do this. She fully intended to keep a promise to God because she knew that Samuel did not really belong to her anyway. You see, having worked through the years of barrenness, Hannah realized a very important truth, that children are not just for you parents. Children are for the Lord. In fact, if you think about this, nothing that we have really belongs to us, and that includes our children. They are just alone from God. And because God has loaned these children to us, as parents, it is our responsibility to shepherd to train them for the Lord's work. 
We may mean well and want the best for them. But you know, it is sad when we begin to put our, cho- our, our, our children's great first above God. When exam time, we tell our children, don't come to church. Your grades is more important. But as parents, we shouldn't be doing this. And I pray that none of us here, as parents in ASE, we are guilty of this. We must be willing to surrender them to the Lord. You know, like Hannah, I must say that I'm fortunate that my mom was only too willing to let me serve the Lord. In fact, I would say that I would not be standing here if not for her willingness to allow me to come into full-time ministry for the Lord. (coughs) So because Hannah gave Samuel to the Lord, we find finally that she was able to burst out in prayer. We don't have the time today to unpack the depth of this praise of Hannah in in chapter 2, but I just want to point out to you that there is no element of sadness here at all. Remember, she had just left Samuel, her firstborn child at the temple, for good, you know, and yet we are told that she broke out in praise. And just to point out a few things, to summarize the praise, you notice here that Hannah didn't brag about how handsome Samuel was, or how talented the boy was. She overlooked all these attributes, and instead, she gave praise to the giver instead. To her, there was no one else who is holy like the Lord. There is no one else who could be her rock through the storms of her lives. And as to the rest of the content in her praise, in verse 3, we are told here that she focused on the wisdom of the God of knowledge, recognizing that God alone is the one who weighs the actions of both men and women. In verse 6, she acknowledged God's ability to bring death and to make something to come alive. In verse 7 and 8, she recognized that it is God who sends poverty and wealth. God humbles and exalts and helps the needy. And in the remaining verses, Hannah declared that God would guard the faithful one, but destroy his adversaries. So you see, the example of Hannah is really one for us to follow if we are true disciples of Christ. She endured years of silent suffering because of her barrenness and the cruel harassment at the hand of her rival. But despite of all this, she still went to the place of worship knowing how painful it was. She faithfully worshipped God, pouring out her tears and petition to Him, And when her prayers was answered, she not only kept a promise, she exploded with praise. Let me now conclude with some life lesson as I reflected on these two chapters. Firstly, mothers, I want to let you know that you are of great worth in God's sight. Whether you have a child or not, God sees you as worthy. So lift up your head. Realize that God loves you for who you are, not for what you do or for what you have. So today, like Hannah, if you're going through some struggles, some sorrows, some pains, turn to Him. Trust that God will meet you where you are. Secondly, I want you to know that mothers, if you make it your mission to give your children to the Lord for a lifetime, and give, make them, and dedicate them to God's service. 
There's no greater purpose and no higher honor than to have your children give their life in surrendered service to the Lord of hosts. You compare to Eli's two sons, Hopni and Phineas. They may be priests, but we are told that they're very evil and they did some perverse, detestable things. But it is very interesting if you notice that their mother was never mentioned anywhere. We don't know if Eli's wife died or, you know, whatever it is, the mother was not mentioned. But Samuel, on the other hand, was greatly impacted by his mother. He went on to become one of the most significant individuals in God's retentive history. Samuel became a great prophet and judge for God. Why? Because his mother took the time to wean him, to nurture him, to surrender him to the Lord. And thirdly, like Hannah, may each of us see the need to be growing in our own relationship with God. You see, the truth is this. If you want your kids to learn more about God and to love Him, then you have got to make that first move. You've got to first grow in your own relationship with God. Because if you're not doing this, don't expect your children to be doing it at all. So as we close, I want to just honour and pray for all mothers in our midst today. So can invite us to just bow our heads, and especially for all mothers today, would you just receive this mother's prayer blessing as I commit you into your hands. And so, Lord God, this morning, we want to pray for all mothers everywhere. We want to lift them up into your name because we know, Lord, that all mothers are precious in your sight. That as your son, Jesus, as he came on this earth, you have given him Mary to be his mother. And so today, as we pray for all mothers, we want to pray like they will be like Hannah, Samuel's mother. May they have the wisdom to know how to protect the children that you have given to them. Like Hannah, may all mothers today take the step to wean, to nurture the children that you have given to them in the ways of God. We pray for all mothers to be like Naomi, to be able to turn hard situations into good. Like Louis and Eunice, may all mothers today be ready to share the love of Christ with their children. But more importantly, today, we want to pray for all mothers that in all that they give to others, may they know, may they have the joy of knowing that they too are children, God's children, helped in God, in love and care.